Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I'm not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who takes a prayer book with him when he goes camping. Of course you did. Is that what this pile of books is behind me? Is your camping reading? Some of it? Some of it. (laughs) (laughs) I walked in today to where we record and there's a pile of books on my side of the room. And I, my first thought was, oh man, Brian needs a lot of reference material for today, which got no. me nervous. And then I remembered that he had gone camping, and I was like, maybe this is just the books he brought camping. Two of them are the Book of Common Prayer. They're both labeled with sticky note tabs, so that Anakin, who, for people who don't know him, was my friend camping with me, uh, he could find where to be in the in the book. Um, oh, so you had one to read, and he had one to read, and you could reference the sticky notes so that he could find his way in a prayer book that is not his normal prayer book. Exactly. They're also color-coded sticky notes. This is so charming. Um, it was very organized. It's yeah. My favorite thing about the Book of Common Prayer is no matter which publisher you get it from, whatever, the page numbers are always the same. Okay, I love that. Right? Isn't it good? There's nothing <laughs> I, that makes my, like formatting heart more happy than matching pagination. It's very good. That's um, really lovely. Makes it very easy to do prayers with other people. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Brilliant. Episcopalians. Yeah. Thank you. So organized. Wonderful. So so organized. So inclusive. So delightful. Oh man. Oftentimes so not organized, but it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> like any group of people gathering along a con- common goal, they have their moments of organization and their moments of mass disorganization. This is true. All right. What are we talking about this week, Brian? Today, we're talking about limbo. Limbo? Yes. Not like going underneath a pole and trying not to touch it, though. Not like wedding dances. No, not that. I didn't even look up why that dance is called that. If someone knows, let me know. Email us, sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. <laughs> limbo, like the space between when you're alive and when you go to heaven? Sort of. Okay. What is limbo, Brian? Limbo comes from the Latin limbus meaning hem or border, like a, like on a garment. Okay. Or anything joined on. Okay, so like an addition. Yeah. So it's defined as a border place between heaven and hell, where dwell those souls who, though not condemned to punishment, are deprived of the joy of eternal existence with God in heaven. Okay, so you're not evil enough to go to hell, but you're not cool enough to hang out with God in heaven. Yes. And Great. it's not the same thing as purgatory. Great, I was going to ask if it was the same thing as purgatory. Purgatory is basically a place where you go if you have venial sins that are unconfessed. You haven't done anything that's bad enough that you're going to hell, but you're not ready to go to heaven yet. So it's like you're in a waiting room. Okay, so purgatory is like you still have shit to do. Limbo is just like, sorry dude, here's where you are now. Yes, you're not working off a punishment. So there's kind of two types of limbo. There's one that you can get out of or all right well everybody who who could have gotten out of it has already gotten out of it but we'll get to that okay <laughs> i mean this sounds fascinating uh, are we starting with the bible this week we are starting with the bible but perhaps unsurprisingly there's not a strong case for limbo in the bible great <laughs> uh, we do have a few things that people point to the first one that we'll go with is i'm gonna tell a story Yay! I love it when you tell stories. Uh, This story is one of the parables. Okay. Um, It's in the Gospel of Luke, which is where a lot of the parables are. Sure. And it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Okay. Jesus tells this story about two men. There's an unnamed rich man and Lazarus. The rich man having a grand old time, dressed in fancy purple clothing and living at the height of luxury. Good, Good time. He's living the dream. Yeah. Especially if you are rich for that time, you are probably very rich. Oh, yeah. And, like, purple cloth, big deal. Yeah. Expensive. Mm-hmm. I know. I would have had a really hard time when purple cloth was expensive because I really like the color purple. Oh, man. Even harder to be a Northwestern fan. I know. Go Cats. <laughs> <laughs> so, this unnamed rich man, presumably a Northwestern fan. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> and then there is Lazarus. He is dirt poor, covered in sores. All he wants is just to be able to eat the table scraps from the rich men's tables. Okay, so he is eking out an existence. Yeah. 
So pathetic that the dogs come to lick his sores out of pity. Aww. Yeah, very, very sad. Yeah. Lazarus having a tough time. Both men eventually die. Lazarus, maybe because of those slobber-infested wounds. You know, it sure didn't help. (laughs) Uh, Rich man, I don't know. Maybe choking on a bone while feasting. Sure. They're both dead. When Lazarus dies, he is carried by angels to Abraham's bosom somewhere, wherever that is. Wherever that is. Is that in heaven, presumably? Or are we not sure? It's not not called as such. Okay. Um, So he didn't get a one-way ticket directly to heaven, but he did get a one-way ticket directly to somewhere? Yeah, he is somewhere. Somewhere nice. Cool. (laughs) He's in a better place now. The rich man, on the other hand, went down to hell. We know that. Yeah. Um, And he was tormented. And he was able to look up and see far away that Lazarus was with Abraham. Oh. And he begged for Abraham to send Lazarus down to him and have Lazarus dip his finger in a bowl of water and then come down and pull his tongue. Because even that would be better than what he's dealing with. Okay. So very bad, very hot. Yes. Very thirsty. Very thirsty. So thirsty. So Abraham replied... Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things? But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. A great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So, So, limbo. Separation. Well, I mean... In the Latin sense, if it's the border between something... Sure, I guess. Yeah, I get. I guess the the chasm could be the border. Sure, but clearly there is a space, and you cannot get to there. Yeah, there. These these are separate places. So these these people both died. One of them is in hell. The other is in a less hot place. Sure. The rich man begged for Lazarus to be sent to his five brothers to warn them because they were still alive and they still had a chance. Ah. Abraham said, "No, we don't do that here." They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to those guys. Great. But the rich men said, no, they'll be way more likely to listen if they run into a dead guy. Ah, um, ghosts. Yeah. The uh, Christmas Carol effect. I, you ruined my joke. Well, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to make that joke. Okay. Uh, yeah, Abraham disagreed. Uh, if they won't listen to the prophets, they also will not listen to a dead guy. And then I was going to say... It wasn't until about 1,800 years later that Abraham was proven wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I think it's still funny. (laughs) So the actual moral of this story is like, be good while you're alive. And also listen to the prophets. Right. But the point for our purposes is that Abraham is somewhere and it's nice there. Great. (laughs) There's a place somewhere. It's nice. They've got Abraham. Yeah. (laughs) Good for them. So, this is notable because Abraham was never baptized. Interesting. Because he's pre-Jesus and we weren't doing Doing that that, then. Sure. He he couldn't be a Christian because he was before Christ. Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. Which means that he couldn't be in heaven the way that at this point we knew heaven to be because you had to be baptized to go to heaven. Is that what the thought is? Well, I mean, as Jesus is talking, he still hasn't died, so... In Christian theology, the gates of heaven have not been opened yet. Ah, okay. Um, so none of these people would be in heaven. Okay, but there is a place... In the line of traditional thinking. Yeah. There is a place that even people who haven't been baptized go that is nice. Yes. That's what we know. That's that's what we're getting so far. Great. Matthew, also in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we also talk about Abraham's fate. Jesus says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west... And will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So those people will be in the kingdom of heaven. Great. Cool. It's a good start. Yeah. And again, notable because none of those people would have been baptized as Christians. All right. But we, we have some founding members. Yes. There are people somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in Peter's first letter, he also says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah 
while the ark was being built. It was only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not from the removal of dirt from the body, but from the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Shout out to those different types of angels at the end. Ah, yes. Shout out to our <laughs> angels episode. But yeah, so this one is saying Christ goes down to talk to imprisoned spirits and preach to them. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to do something, set them yeah. free. Giving them a chance at the same things that you guys have a chance at here on Earth, maybe? That's the idea. Great. Glad I'm picking it up. So yeah, maybe maybe Jesus brought those people back. Oh, I don't know. Who knows? These passages are all directed at the first type of limbo. Okay. Um, this is a place for people who were born and died before Christianity and were therefore unable to become Christians. Great. It's called limbus patrum, which means the father's limbo. There you go. And this idea was actually already starting to form in some Jewish communities around Jesus' lifetime. Okay. These communities believe that there was some sort of comfortable place where the patriarchs resided. Okay. Um, and that this place was temporary, and that they would be taken to an even better place by the Messiah. All right. So they're waiting for the Messiah even in after death. Yeah. But they have at least a comfortable waiting room. Right. I mean, not certainly not everyone believed this, but this was a belief at the time. Great. It existed. Yeah. And it makes sense that this was a pre-existing idea because Christianity grew out of Judaism. Yeah, sure. That tracks. Yeah. So this idea was expounded upon by the church fathers. Second century theologian Clement of Alexandria said in his work, the Stramata, which means patchwork or miscellaneous. There we go. <laughs> An assortment of miscellaneous thoughts. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, you know... Saying things. Is this Clement's miscellany? <laughs> yes, basically. Amazing. <laughs> it says, uh, Do not the scriptures show that the Lord preached the gospel to those who perished in the flood, or rather had been chained, and to those in ward and guard? And it has been shown also in the second book of the Stramata. He was referencing... His own book. His own book, but it's... In the book? The earlier one, yeah. This is volume three. He's referencing volume, volume two. two. Oh my god. So this, this is like a like a footnote situation. <laughs> I guess. Uh, and it has been shown also in the second book of the Stramata that the apostles following the Lord preached the gospel to those in Hades. For it was requisite, in my opinion, that as here, so also there, the best of the disciples should be imitators of the master, so that he should bring to repentance those belonging to the Hebrews and they the Gentiles. That is, those who had lived in righteousness according to the law and philosophy, who had ended life not perfectly, but sinfully. For it is suitable to the divine administration that those possessed of greater worth in righteousness, and whose life had been preeminent, or representing their transgressions, though found in another place, yet being confessedly of the number of the people of God Almighty, should be saved, each one according to his individual knowledge. Oof. It's a lot. They're... Clement was a talker. <laughs> they all are. I sometimes I can edit down to sure. like a sentence. Other times you, you gotta have the block quote. Sorry. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but he's basically setting setting up the stage that there are some people who can be saved after death. Basically, yeah. He he's saying that Jesus went down to hell. And... I keep wanting to say down to the river to pray. I mean, that's a good song. It's that was what came to my mind. But no, Jesus went down to hell. To, so after he died, but before he rose, um, that period That's, of time. He's in hell. Yeah. Preaching to sinners. Yeah. It's called the harrowing of hell. Ooh. <laughs> that makes it sound like he's like attack praying to them. Um, I mean, there, there are definitely some depictions of Jesus just like fighting off demons for three sure. days. Great. He's doing something down there. I mean, he it's not boring, I'm sure. <laughs> it's a hell of a time. Oh, that was so bad it was good. <laughs> um, As a connoisseur of bad jokes, I'm really proud of you. <laughs> I mean, I, we, I'm a dad. It's yeah, fine. It's true. <laughs> dad jokes abound. So Clement said that in the 3rd century. Oh man, I was hoping... 2nd century. Ah, yes! 
<laughs> All the crazy stuff happens in the second century. A lot of the crazy stuff happens in the fourth century. Sure, but the like setting up the stage stuff happens in the second century, All right, and then it gets fine. weird in the fourth. I'm a fan of all the weirdness in the fourth. It's true. We all know that <laughs> Brian's favorite early biblical century is the fourth century. What a weird favorite to have. Uh, <laughs> but it's not wrong. <laughs> so Clement said that way back then. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church pretty much says the same thing today. Okay. It says, Scripture calls the abode of the dead to which the dead Christ went down hell, Sheol in Hebrew or Hades in Greek, because those who are there are deprived of the vision of God. Such is the case for all the dead, whether evil or righteous, will they await the Redeemer, which does not mean that their lot is identical as Jesus shows through the parable of the poor man Lazarus who was received into Abraham's bosom. It is precisely these holy souls who awaited their Savior in Abraham's bosom, whom Christ the Lord delivered when he descended into hell. Jesus did not descend into hell to deliver the damned, nor to destroy the hell of damnation, but to free the just who had gone before him. Okay, so as opposed to thinking that everyone goes to hell at least for a while, and then the good ones are going to come back up with Jesus in those three days... We clearly see from the parable of Lazarus that there is some alternate place as well. Basically, yeah. There's Whether it's a level of hell mm-hmm. or an entirely separate place, There, the idea is that there is something different where these people who are not bad just did not have the chance to mm-hmm. be baptized are. Great. And Jesus came down, kicked down the door, and let a massive jailbreak. And said, you guys... Get in. We're going shopping. Basically. Yeah. I don't know what they were shopping for. Salvation. (laughs) Can you shop around for salvation? Maybe. I feel like there's a monopoly there. I guess it depends on who you ask. That's true. (laughs) In this this line of theology, there's definitely a monopoly. Sure. Uh, Personal opinions aside. (laughs) Sure. Um... (laughs) Okay, well, then they're shopping for stuff to outfit their new heaven with. Okay, sure. Housewares. Sure. Uh, They all need robes. Yeah, for the choir. Uh, (laughs) There's not a lot of controversy on this side of limbo. Sure, because it has to do with a lot of people who were alive before Jesus was alive. Right, and it's only the good ones? Sure. I (laughs) I guess, like, you probably don't want to spend a lot of time, like, reading... Hebrew Bible stories, and then thinking that through a trick of fate and time, all of your heroes of the Hebrew Bible went to hell. Yeah. It makes you feel better to think that they got to, like, hang out somewhere with nice chairs, at least, until Jesus came and rescued them. Yeah. I I think that's probably the idea. Yeah, people want to believe that all the, the patriarchs are in heaven. Yeah, and that when you go to heaven, you can hang out with Abraham, too. Yeah. Or... Some of the other fun ones. Like... I know. I tried to name literally any other of them, and I can't. Come on, not even Judith. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think of, like, the heads of the houses. Okay. And I can't. I mean, Abraham is not one of the 12 oh, tribes of Israel. <laughs> he was before that. Okay. See, I don't... My Hebrew Bible timeline is fuzzy. <laughs> I need a map. <laughs> I need a flowchart. Oh, man. It would confuse you even more. That family has a lot of... Weird marriages. Sure. Um, (laughs) But anyway, it's this, I guess this limbo is empty. Okay, it just doesn't (laughs) exist anymore. Whether or not it exists, it's like, its purpose is, it doesn't have a purpose anymore because it was for pre-resurrection and after Jesus went down and then freed everybody now you're expected to because you are able to be baptized then do that yeah you can get baptized and thus bypass limbo one right so then how did we end up with limbo two so this is because yes everyone can get baptized Mm -hmm. because baptism exists yes but some people don't get baptized and this is particularly concerning when it's a baby. I was about to ask if this was a baby's issue. This is a baby issue. Okay. Because, like, if a baby dies, 
Are we sending the baby to hell? Yeah, that feels mean. Right? And that's what everyone thought. (laughs) So we had to build a baby loophole. So, yeah, that was what we did. We built a baby loophole. Great. The cutest kind of loophole. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the baby hasn't done anything wrong, but they're still unbaptized and they still have original sin. There we go. Shout out to our very first episode. Yeah. There's a a couple throwbacks in this episode. Yeah, I like it. So, yeah, what what happens to these babies? (laughs) Limbo, apparently. <laughs> Some people believe that these babies go to Limbus and Phantom, or wow. Limbo of the Children. Baby Limbo! <laughs> For example, Gregory of Nanzianzus said, It will happen, I believe, that those last mentioned, infants dying without baptism, will neither be admitted by the last judge to the glory of heaven, nor condemned to suffer punishment, since, though unsealed by baptism, they are not wicked. For from the fact that one does not merish punishment, it does not follow that one is worthy of being honored, any more than it follows that one who is not worthy of a certain honor deserves on that account to be punished. Okay, then. So, babies. Neutral. Yeah. (laughs) We are totally neutral on babies. (laughs) Says our friend Greg. Great. (laughs) So, baby limbo. Yeah, that's... The idea is that there's this place that is not heaven, but it, it doesn't... You're not... It doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> You're not eternally burning. It's literally eternal daycare. I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe... The, I don't know if the babies grow maybe, up. Maybe they don't need supervision? Yeah. I mean, they're not... They're not wetting themselves, I assume. I assume they're not, like, bodily infants. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. But who knows? But they have They have a comfortable space. Yeah. Another... This also feels like uncontroversial limbo, in that everyone agrees that babies shouldn't go to hell. You'd think that. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, so, right right now, this is very early on. Mm-hmm. This is, like, third century. Okay. Thir- third, early fourth. Another theologian writing in Milan around the same time, Ambrose, said that original sin wasn't a sin in the strictest sense, but an inclination towards sin... That all humans have, so it wouldn't automatically condemn babies to hell. Okay. So this one is even more lenient. Sure, yeah. It's their, their, they have not sinned. They're, sure. They're good to go. Yeah. Our good buddy Augustine has a lot of thoughts. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm holding the table. <laughs> I'm ready. Hit me. <laughs> In some of his earlier writings, he agreed with this early consensus that babies were probably not condemned to hellfire. But... Well, let's let's hear him out first. Okay. Uh, in in his work, the free choice of the will, he wrote, "It is superfluous to inquire about the merits of one who has not any merits, for one need not hesitate to hold that life may be neutral as between good conduct and sin, and that as between reward and punishment there may be a neutral sentence of the judge." Okay, so he's still at babies are neutral. Yeah, like they don't deserve heaven, but. They also didn't do anything bad. Don't break the babies. Yes. All right. <laughs> but by 418, he had shifted from this view. Of course. He had convinced the Council of Carthage to reject this Pelagian view. The, the view uh, was affirming the existence of an intermediate place, or of any place anywhere at all, in which children who pass out of this life unbaptized live in happiness. So we are against this. We are now anti-baby loophole limbo. Yes. Um, I really hope that happiness isn't the word he's sticking on here. <laughs> no, I, no, it's more likely this shift in views is because he's pushing back against Pelagius. Okay, so it's just he has a bone to pick with Pelagius. Yes. Do you remember who Pelagius was all the way back to episode number one? Uh, no. (laughs) Fair enough. That was 42 weeks ago, Brian. More than that. At least 42 weeks ago. (laughs) You you gotta gotta remember this stuff. I can't believe you're not retaining all of it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll work on that. Pelagius was a British theologian who said that people could lead morally good lives without God's help, and Adam was just an example of someone who screwed up. Oh, great. Yeah. So this is basically kind of rejecting 
original sin. Okay. So, Augustine, because he had very strong feelings about the existence of original sin, feels like he has to push against somebody who has fuzzy feelings about original sin and thus takes the babies out of limbo. Pretty much, yeah. As, as a consequence of this pushback, unbaptized can't go to heaven, period. Because original sin, we need to reinforce that that is an important thing. He's doubled down on original sin. Exactly. In another one of Augustine's works, On Merit and the Forgiveness of Sins and the Baptism of Infants. Sure. There we go. Yeah. Covers Uh, all the bases. He, oh, it gets better. Oh boy. He has a chapter called Unbaptized Infants Damned, but most lightly, the penalty of Adam's sin and the grace of his body lost. Oh God. (laughs) Damned. Lightly. That's such an amazing title. I, I laughed really hard oh when I read it. I love it. I'm glad that people have been using, like, verbose uh, titles that require, like, colons and semicolons to get their point across <laughs> all the way in, like, year 40. This is not that old. Okay. This is, like, this is, like, 4th century. Okay. <laughs> so in this amazingly named chapter. Yes. He says... It may therefore be correctly affirmed that such infants as quit the body without being baptized will be involved in the mildest condemnation of all. So mild, indeed, that one may not say that for them non-existence would be preferable to existence in such a state. So it is the most comfortable of damnation. Right. And that the only real damnation is that you still have to be here. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's better than never having been. (laughs) <laughs> so this is just like boring waiting room um i guess i don't know it feels a little a little worse sure it feels like, like i don't know like an itch you can't scratch <laughs> Ooh, that would be terrible <laughs> or like i don't know maybe something milder than that i don't know yeah but like just like kind of a bummer <laughs> yeah maybe like the dmv okay yeah <laughs> It's like, it could have worse fates, <laughs> but I would rather not. Um, so that's... It's somewhere between the DMV and, like, slightly damp socks. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where... Where babies go they, now, babies according go. to Augustine. Because, <laughs> of course, Augustine had to, like, get original sin involved and then mess up all of our ideas about taking care of babies. I mean, he thinks you should take care of babies. Yes, by condemning them lightly. I mean... Alive babies you should take care of, but like, ah, oh, there's nothing we can do about the dead ones. Oh my god. <laughs> so, Augustine's use became the standard, this uh, very light punishment. Sure. And they were shared by Jerome, Fulgentius, and Gregory the Great. Okay, different Greg. Different Greg, yeah. The, the Greg we talk about more often, Gregory yeah. the Great. That's the, the Great at the end of his name. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and... Our friend Greg, he said, God condemns those with only original sin on their souls. Even infants who have never sinned by their own will must go to everlasting torments. Okay. So he's like, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. It sucks. But here we are. So this stance lasted quite a while. Mm-hmm. The first person to really object to Augustine's harsh stance on the matter was Peter Ablard. In the late 11th, early 12th century. Great. I feel like we've talked about him before on the show. We have, yeah. He He's, he's also a, like a historical figure that comes up. He is. Abelard and Heloise is yeah. a love story that a lot of people know. Sure. Cool. But uh, he has feelings on limbo. He does. He argued that there was no guilt, only punishment associated with original sin. Okay. Interesting. Um, this idea was rejected. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> By the Council of Soissons okay. in 1140. So by saying there's no guilt, only punishment, you mean the babies do have to go to hell? I think he is, he's definitely arguing that it's it's different than hell. Okay. His other ideas were embraced by theologians, and this is a little more clear. Okay. Um, he said that the babies were not subject to material torment, only to the pain of loss associated with being separated from God. Okay, so they don't get God, but they also don't go to hell. Right. So he is kind of Limbus and Phantom. Pro. Uh, yes. Pro baby Limbus. Yes. And 
This idea starts picking up steam. A lot of people like it. Okay. It becomes sort of official when it's written about in a letter from Pope Innocent III to the Bishop of Arles. Okay. Uh, he said, Those dying with only original sin on their souls will suffer no other pain, whether from material fire or from the worm of conscience, except the pain of being deprived forever of the vision of God. All right. So, the, not having God in your life is punishment enough. Right. Fair. So, we are punishing babies with, I don't know, agnosticism. Sure. <laughs> Atheism? Think, atheism? Maybe. But they know that they've lost God. <laughs> they do. The idea well, is, is that they've, they know that God exists and that they cannot be with God. Yeah. Although some people disagree. Okay. So we, we actually go even further to nice things happen to these dead babies. Okay. In the 13th century with Thomas Aquinas. All right. He says that no reason can be given for exempting unbaptized children from the material torments of hell that does not hold good for exempting them also from internal spiritual suffering, since the latter in reality is a more grievous penalty and is more opposed to the mildest punishment which St. Augustine is willing to admit. Okay. So he's like, no, 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 no. No, Augustine. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta go even nicer than light, light hell. Right. He's saying, basically, that knowing that God exists and not having God is worse than whatever physical punishment you can have. Ah. So why would we do that to these babies? So he's objecting to the, like, idea of loss as yeah. being the punishment. Right, because that's an unbearable, not mild punishment. Yeah. He also says that the souls are capable of understanding that they are separated from God through no fault of their own, and so it does not interfere with the full enjoyment of the natural goods they possess. Okay, so they can't be have done something wrong just by knowing that God exists. They can't have done something against God. Not that's not really what he's saying. Okay, um, he's saying that these these souls separated from their bodies have an understanding that they're separate from God. Sure, they also have an understanding that it's not their fault that they're separate okay. from God. So there's an element of self forgiveness here. Yeah, so they don't feel bad because there's nothing to be done. Great. And so they're able to just, like, live their dead baby lives. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Weird, but okay. Uh, the later he changes his mind on this. All right. And he revises it to them just not being aware of God. Ah, he just takes away the idea of God entirely. Yeah, so they're, they're unaware of the existence of God, and so they're not missing the absence of it. They're not aware of any supernatural things, so the only experience of God is through the natural world that they exist in. Whatever that is. Yeah. It's sort of like, that kind of reminds me of, have you read Lincoln and the Bardo? I have not, but I've heard it's great. It is great. I listened to it on tape, which I'm not sure helped or hurt that book, because there's a lot that happens, but there are spoilers, ghosts, and they sort of, they have a complicated relationship with what it means to be dead versus alive, and like, how that works. In a sort of like, this is the world we live in now. Okay. And like I don't, some of them don't quite realize that the reason they live in this sort of slightly different space is because they are dead. Sure, that might be. I don't. Yeah, it feels I don't interesting. Know. I don't know what the baby's similar. awareness is. Yeah. Of where they are. Can you just imagine that it's like like Earth like this, only it's all babies who haven't been baptized, and they just like this is the world they live in now. It could be. I and again, I don't know that they remain babies. Yeah, I don't know either. If they, like, age to a point, if they have what we understand as human bodies at all, who knows? So many options. Yeah, those things are not really spelled out. We're mostly just worried about whether these babies are on fire. Cool. (laughs) And so far, we seem to be edging in the direction of no punishment for babies. Yeah, we would like them to not be on fire. Please. (laughs) And also, shut up, Augustine. (laughs) Yeah. And we, we so we're, we're definitely, we're inching towards, we would like these babies not to be on fire until... Oh boy. <laughs> the Reformation. Of course. Does Luther have something to do with this, or is this Calvin's This fault? is more Calvin. Okay. Um, I figured it was one of the two of them. I mean, when we're, when we're generalizing the entire Reformation, that's kind of what it gets boiled down to. Sure. Okay, so Calvin, of course, has 
angry feelings about unbaptized babies? Yeah, it's... So, Calvinists kind of go back to towards the Augustinian view. Okay. Um, this goes along with predestination. I was going to say, like, isn't in his mind a baby that's not been baptized but is doomed to hell just doomed to hell, and a baby that's doomed to heaven and hasn't been baptized is just going to heaven? Yeah, pretty much. It's some people are predestined to heaven, others to hell. There's no, there's no in between, and this applies to adults and babies all the same. Sure, it doesn't matter because it's predestined. So he's sending ba- some babies to hell, but not all the babies, because some of the babies are cooler than the other babies. But we don't know which ones they are. Uh, that's my understanding. Great. I'm rolling my ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, though maybe. I, I don't know the exact specifics of this. Maybe it's all of the unbaptized babies are just the ones that are predestined to hell, so maybe they're all going to hell. I don't know. Who knows? Crazy. In in general, most mm-hmm. pro- Protestants reject limbo as an idea. Okay. Some of this is a rejection to a middle ground between heaven and hell. Sure. Uh, others reject it because of a rejection of original sin. Okay. If the babies don't have sin on their conscience, then they don't need to go to hell anyway. Yeah. So, Catholics responded to the Protestant Reformation in two camps. There were some who were like, yeah, you know what? Augustine was right. We should go back to that. Oh, God. And then there were others who were more faithful to the Aquinas view. And then some people who tried to reconcile the two, but that That feels very well. challenging. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, like, the popular opinion and the lay opinion was in favor of limbo, which makes sense, because lay people are the ones having babies. Yeah. They don't (laughs) want their babies to go to the hell that they don't subscribe to. Yeah. But there were various theologians who tried to push back over the next few hundred years. Of course. One example is the Bishop of Pistoria, who wrote... 85 Propositions for Condemnation by Pius VI. Okay. Um, He wrote this at his diocesan synod in 1794. The 26th proposition repudiated as a Pelagian fable the existence of a place usually called the children's limbo in which the souls of those dying in original sin are punished by the pain of loss without any pain of fire. And this taken to mean that by denying the pain of fire, one thereby necessarily postulates a middle place or state involving neither guilt nor penalty between the kingdom of God and eternal damnation. And it is condemned by the Pope as being false and rash and a slander of the Catholic schools. Oh man, so deeply anti-Limbo. Very against Limbo. False and rash. Yes. And slander. Slander. Never, 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 never few uh, centuries earlier, and we just would have been screaming heresy. Yeah. <laughs> Heretics are really why you like the 4th century so much. I, mm, I, I, yes, but not because, not just because I like screaming heresy at them, but also because some of the ideas are really funny. Yes, I think that you're amused by the things that they turn people into heretics for. Yes, because there are some that are just buck wild. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but we're not calling people heretics now. We're just saying that assuming that there is limbo is slander. Yes. But, like, this was kind of the the last big push for okay. the... Augustinian view of... Yeah. Um, people pretty much settled on this idea of some kind of imperfect happiness okay. for souls in limbo. And then we jump to the 1992 edition of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Great. Which states, baptism is necessary for salvation for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who have the possibility of asking for the sacrament. Okay? Correct. You can only get salvation if you've been baptized. Rule number one. Right. That's, everybody agrees on that. Great. We got it. Um, God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but he himself is not bound by his sacraments. So he doesn't have to be baptized, he's gone. No. God can break his own rules. Oh, great. Yes. <laughs> of course. God made the rules. God can break the rules. Right. That's what that, that was saying. Cool. In the case of catechumens who die before receiving the sacrament, explicit desire with baptism together with repentance for their sins and charity ensures salvation. Okay? So, okay. In, intending to be baptized is good enough. Great. And 
Every man who is ignorant of the gospel of Christ and of his church, but seeks the truth and does the will of God in accordance with his understanding of it, can be saved, seeing that if they had known of the necessity of baptism, they would have desired it explicitly. So if you were an essentially good person who exists in a part of the world where they don't know anything about Christ, but you probably would have been baptized and been a Christian, if you had Christ, you can also come too. Correct. That is what that part means. So those are all the things. So we're just opening up the doors of limbo a little bit. Yeah, I mean... To, like, initiates and... Well, those people wouldn't go to limbo. Those people are have the possibility of heaven. Okay. We're just expanding the terms of salvation just a little bit. Yeah. And we still don't really give it to babies in this. Unless babies inherently want to be baptized. Maybe. I which I guess know. seems like a lot. It's an I argument that could be made. Babies just want food and shelter and to not die. I mean, yeah. They're, sometimes they're very bad at that, though. Yeah. Sometimes they just want comfort. So, that's that's that. And as a final update, as we get even more recent than 1992. Oh, wow. This is, we're going all the way up. Yeah. In 2004, the International Theological Commission, advisory body to the Vatican, this was under the direction of Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger. Okay. Who is better known as Pope Benedict the 16th. Yep. That one. The, the the Pope that lives that is not the Pope. Yeah, the Pope Emeritus. Yes. I can never pronounce the word Emeritus right the first time, otherwise I would have said it, but I knew I would say it wrong on Mike, and I didn't want to <laughs> until you said it first. Welcome to my life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but Emeritus is a word that I should be able to pronounce right the first time, and I just have to hear it before I can say it. My brain cannot say Emeritus. It's weird. Huh. I don't know. I can't figure it out, but thank you for saying it. <laughs> Glad to help. So what did, what did freaking Ratzinger say? His commission was examining the question of limbo, and in 2007, the commission, by this point, Benedict was the Pope. Okay, I was going to say, he was Pope now? Yeah. So he he was the one to approve this commission's final findings. Great. Um, they declared that the traditional view of limbo is unduly restrictive of salvation. So there was hope that infants who died without being baptized could just go to heaven. Okay, so they're just like you can even you can even get put on the waiting list for heaven now. Right. So we we reject limbo because it forces babies to be in this other place. And so this is the first time that limbo was rejected in favor of a nicer thing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Wait, are you saying that Benedict was nice about a thing? Benedict has been nice about things. Benedict is also He a... just looks like a villain. He does. He looks Specifically, like a Star Wars villain. Correct. <laughs> he absolutely does. <laughs> but it's yeah. He he's like he was a very respected scholar long before he was a pope. It's unsurprising that he his commission came to this conclusion because he had been publicly against the idea of limbo since 1984. Wow. But he's in favor of limbo because he thinks that unbaptized babies should have a chance at salvation. He's against limbo. Yes. Yes. But because, not because he wants to send them to hell, but rather because he would rather them join him in heaven someday. Yeah, because he thinks that they're, it, it is better to leave, leave room for that option. Sure. I like it. I'm into it. This was fascinating. Yeah. This is a, a weird thing that is no longer a thing anymore. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's both historical and strange. <laughs> And I, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, I knew much more about the baby's limbo than the limbo of the fathers. Sure. Um, other, have I have I mentioned my funny limbo story on air before? No, I don't think you have. Okay, so I had this coworker who her son was like ten, I think. Okay. And he was playing this video game that talked about limbo. Okay. And freaked him out. <laughs> is this the one where you have to climb up the hill? I have no idea. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't play video games. I don't know what this video game was. This was also years ago. Sure. Oh. This child is terrified. <laughs> so scared. He asked his mom if he had ever been baptized because he was scared of limbo. Oh my god. And he had not. Uh, his family was Catholic, but they weren't practicing Catholics. Okay. And so they had never taken him. And he started begging his mom to be baptized. Amazing. 
And so this 10-year-old got baptized. Amazing! Because a video game instilled the fear of limbo in him. That's <laughs> wild. I'm sure I've heard that story before, but it gets better. <laughs> he, and like, this kid was just like an anxious little boy. Clearly. <laughs> Poor babe. But, you know, he's good now. He He's was, baptized. Yeah, it was, very, it was very cute. He put on his little suit. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> this is adorable. <laughs> um, and who knows, I I honestly doubt he goes to church, but, you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe it instilled something in him. <laughs> but yeah, so... There we go. Safe from the limbo that already didn't exist. Sure. Um, by the time he was concerned about it. You know, better safe than sorry. <laughs> well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back for some fun. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it's time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint and she has to guess what they're the patron of. All right, I'm ready. Who we have this week? This week is Saint Agitor of Vernon. Okay. Vernon, like... All right, I don't even know where Vernon would be. It's Italy. Okay. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. He was born in the 11th century to a family of knights in Vernon, Italy. Okay. In 1095, Pope Urban II came to France to launch the First Crusade. And on his way there, he ran into Agitor, and he volunteered, and he set out with a group of 200 of his men. Okay, because he's a knight and he can just do that. Yep. There you go. Lots of them. Sure. They were headed to Jerusalem, but they stopped in Antioch because the city was placed under siege by a group of Muslim soldiers. All right. Hoping to end the siege, Agitor went on a scouting expedition with a smaller group of his men. Suddenly, they realized that they had been ambushed by 1,500 enemy soldiers. Oh man, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how you get snuck up on by 1,500 soldiers. Yeah. You have to be either real dumb or real unlucky. (laughs) And they were too far from Antioch to retreat to the safety of the city's walls. The men fought valiantly, but the tide was turning against them. In desperation, Agitor prayed to his favorite saint, St. Mary Magdalene, to intercede. Great. Suddenly, a great storm broke out over the battlefield, and the enemy soldiers fled. Wow, that's gotta be quite a, quite a storm, then. Oh, yeah. The wrath of Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Don't, you don't mess with Mary Magdalene. <laughs> uh, once the siege was over, Agitor and his men were able to continue on to Jerusalem. He remained there as part of the Crusaders' garrison for 17 years. While on patrol one time, he fell into another ambush. Of course. <laughs> yeah. No. He's very unlucky. I mean, I guess it was many years apart. But still, how many how many ambushes can you get caught in, friend? Yeah, I don't know. It's tough being a crusader, I guess. Sure. He was captured this time. Alright. And he was taken to a stronghold off the coast of Palestine, where he was locked in a dark cell with his wrists and ankles shackled. From time to time, his jailers would take him out of his cell, but only to torture him. Throughout it all, he never lost his faith. He ended up praying again to Mary Magdalene, and she came to his help again. There you go. Breaking his chains and showing him the way to freedom. Once outside the castle walls, he dove into the sea and swam for shore. Then he walked to Crusader territory, and he finally found his old comrades. And when he found them, he was still wearing the broken chains around his ankles and wrists. Wow, so he swam with those on? That's some supernatural swimming. So, yeah, some saintly swimming, one could even say. Oh, man. (laughs) So, soon after, he returned to... He went to Normandy this time. All right. And he built a chapel in honor of the saint who had saved his life twice. Yeah. Mary Magdalene. And he also became a Benedictine monk. Okay. Near the abbey where Agitor lived, there was a whirlpool in the river that was known to be deadly even to the most skilled sailors. When Agitor invited the local bishop to say mass at the abbey, the two men had to sail past this whirlpool. To prepare, the bishop armed himself with holy water, and Agitor brought along the broken chain that had been on his legs in prison. Great. I'm sensing a theme. (laughs) At the edge of the whirlpool, the bishop sprinkled holy water and said a blessing, and Agitor took a link from his chain, and he threw it into the water, and said, It is as easy for God to free people from this whirlpool 
as it was for him to free me from my chains. Which is to say, rather difficult. I mean, it was easy for God. Okay, sure. It was, I would say it was hard for him to get out of there. Right, but like God just like Bling. popped those chains open. Sure. <laughs> and the whirlpool immediately calmed. Amazing. When Azure died, he was buried in the chapel that he had built for Mary Magdalene. There you go. So, Shannon, what is Agitor Vernon the patron of? Is he the patron saint of sailors or swimmers? Both. Great! (laughs) (laughs) This one really hit you over the head with it. I know, I thought it was going to be too easy. I was like, no way. Uh, Agitor is the patron against drowning, for drowning victims, for sailors, swimmers, swimming, and yachtsmen. Amazing. Yachtsman. Because he totally would have had a yacht had he lived in a time when there were yachts. Oh, I mean, he was a crusader. Yeah. <laughs> and a rich knight. Yeah. Yeah, totally would have been a guy who had a yacht. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that, Brian. Yeah, that was a fun one. For sure. And thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, like us on social media, at school number four heathens. Send us an email at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. Our awesome music for the show is all done by Adam Griffin. Our editing and our super cool logo are both done by David Griffin. And thank you, David, for sending snapshots of your dog in the middle of my move. It really put a smile on my face when I needed it. And, oh, if you're enjoying the show, you should go on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and write a review. Oh, and I do have one more thing. Right. So when we had that wonderful conversation with Katie Zay, yeah. I talked to a friend afterwards, um, and he is one of those friends that I mentioned who is part of the Seamless Garment Consistent Ethic of Life camp, Yeah, and he asked that I present some alternate viewpoints um, in case other people are interested in what other views that Christians hold on abortion are. So we're going to post a link to another podcast that is from that perspective. Amazing. If you would like to listen to that, it will be there for you. Great. Thank you for offering up those perspectives. And amen? Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. (laughs) 